Open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you are a new visitor here with us or online, we're thrilled to have you here with us today. Grateful to be able to sing alongside you and worship King Jesus. And I'm thrilled to say, too, at the same time, that we as a church are about to celebrate our 30th anniversary as a church. It's amazing for God's faithfulness. Let's just praise God for his faithfulness over 30 years to our church. So go ahead and mark your calendars at the end of March, March 28th, Palm Sunday. We're going to have a huge celebration as a church. We're going to have, uh, we're going to introduce our new members. We're going to have baptisms that day. We're uh, going to have a chance to hear from our founding pastor, Dr. Falkenberry, where he's going to be able to share some of God's faithfulness to our church over the years. And then we're going to leave in here and go and actually go up to the baseball field on the backside of our property and just have a a great cookout and fun. And so just mark your calendars for March 28th. More details to come on that. But ultimately, it's just a blessing to be a part of God's faithfulness to all generations. And I'm grateful for that. And if you are new here, you saw our mission statement on that screen. But this is what we've been about as a church since the very beginning, that we are all about the glory of God, that we would let others experience the glory of God by our faithful living of life on mission to tell them about Jesus. And so that mission statement that you see on the screen right now is we exist to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And what that means is that we want to share the gospel and see people believe and trust in Christ. And this last week, because of your faithfulness to share, we got to see two more people come to faith in Jesus this last week. And so praise God for his faithfulness in that. But we don't want it to end in our neighborhoods. We want it to go to the whole world. And so we looked a couple weeks ago at uh, our mission statement, and then now we need to pray. Pray that, God, would you please move in great ways, because we cannot do this apart from you. We would labor in vain and be exhausted unless you are moving in and through us. And so we, we focused on praying, God, move. And the last week, we started a generosity series where we, as a church, want to be a part of God's mission. We want to take hand in hand and be in the privilege of serving the Lord Jesus Christ in his mission, because his mission is our mission. And so that's what we looked at last week, and specifically we looked at Jesus and his life, how though he was rich, he became poor for our sake, that we could have salvation. And so church, we want to pray and pursue being used by God for his kingdom and his glory. And so before we dive into Matthew 6 today, let's take a moment and just pray to the Lord, asking him to speak today. Let's pray. Lord, as we we start, we praise you for your faithfulness. Lord, you haven't just been faithful to this church over the last 30 years, but Lord, you've been faithful generation after generation after generation. So God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness even when we have not been faithful to you. God, we have sinned and we have fallen short of where you desired for us to be. We haven't always glorified you, but you continue to love us with your generous love. Lord, you ran after us when we were running from you. So Lord, I pray that we today would just have a sense of wonder of you and your love. And I pray it would grow week after week and day after day. God, and I pray that today our love for you would grow. God, open up our eyes to see the beauty from your word and help us to be obedient to to what you called us to. God, we love you. We ask that you would speak now. And I would encourage you, 
in this moment of silence just to pray quietly and ask that God would speak to you today. Take a moment just right now and pray to the Lord. Take a moment to pray for me that as we open up God's word that I would just be able to communicate exactly what Jesus was speaking in this passage to all of us today. Pray for me now. Lord, we love you and we need you. So speak to our hearts now. Give us the courage to be obedient to it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 19, and this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. I said this last week when we started this series on generosity, but when we hear about money and giving, our, our, our shields go up real quick, right? We're just like, ah, don't, don't talk about that. Like a lot of other areas we're good with, but like don't, don't talk about this one. And, and there's a reason for that. There's a reality behind that. And I think Jesus is highlighting it today. But I want us to see that when we talk about money, specifically when Jesus is talking about money right here, he's not mainly talking about your wallet, This sermon from Jesus is not primarily about your bank account. It's about your heart. Because those things are so woven together. Jesus knows that. And we'll unpack this in a minute, but he says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so please hear this today. This is a message for our hearts, not necessarily our bank accounts, but they are connected. And so with this passage, one of the things that's so interesting is as we read it, and as I read it this week, Right there in the middle, verses 23 or 22 and 23, it's, it doesn't seem to fit. Did you guys see that? Like we see the, the beginning part talking about treasures and where you lay up your treasures, and then the end talking about we can't serve both God and money. And then verses 22 and 23, there's this really weird statement. I, what's, what is going on here in verses 22 and 23? It's important that we grasp it because this is ask, actually the, the master key that unlocks the truths that precede this and that come after this. Because when he says here that the eye is the lamp of the body, what is he talking about? It's really simple. Jesus is saying when when your eye sees well, it actually helps you navigate your whole body. So when you come in here, you see these lights on and you can guide through the aisles and make sure you don't bump into anybody or to trip over anything. You can see because your eyes are good. They're, 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 good. they're lit, right? They're, they're like the lamp of the body. But if your eyes are, are dim or you don't see that well or it's dark in here, you stumble over things, right? You might bump into somebody. You might struggle to find the aisle, where to go. 
And what Jesus is saying here when he talks about this, when he says, hey, your eye, if it's dark, then you miss out on everything. What he's saying here is simply this. We have to have the right perspective. And if we don't have the right perspective, then we won't follow the right paths. We won't have the right actions. And as Jesus talks about the the light being able to see, how is that connected to money? What does that have to do with money at all? It's because one of the deepest sins, and Jesus talks about it multiple times, is the sin of greed. And the sin of greed can literally blind our eyes to reality around us. And greed camouflages itself really well in our lives. As a pastor, I've had people want to meet and, and, and be counseled around a number of different things. I'm really struggling with my marriage right now. Can we just talk about that? And we'll sit down and have lunch or coffee and talk about that. Or people say, hey, I'm really struggling with lust and I'm trying to win this battle. Like, can you, can you help me walk through this? Or I'm struggling with all these different things. But never once, never once has anybody sat down with me and said, man, I'm really struggling with greed. Can you, can you help me with my, my, my greed? And the reason why nobody's ever said that is because it's one of those sins that just creeps into our lives. Like when we lie, when we sin, we, we know, we can point back and say, oh yeah, there's the time I lied. Or if you committed adultery, oh yeah, that's the time I committed adultery. You know those sins, you know what's going on. But greed just slowly creeps up and you stop asking questions about it. Because as long as we can point to one other person who is richer than we are and more stingy or greedier than we are, then we can justify our spending. And what Jesus is saying here is your eye has to be right. You have to have the right perspective on your finances, on your heart. And when you have that perspective, when you see, it changes how you act. See, right perspective leads to right action. And that's what Jesus wants us to do today, to have the right perspective. So our nearsightedness is changed where we see something much greater. And where we are blind, our eyes are opened, and we would see. And so in this this sermon that Jesus is preaching that spans back to chapter 5 and moves forward, this is right in the middle of it. This is important to what Jesus is saying in this sermon, and it's important for us to grasp today. And I think there's three things that we have to see like Jesus sees. We need to understand this to have the right perspective that leads to the right action. And the first is that our generosity needs the right perspective on our world. Our generosity needs the right perspective on our world. Now Jesus knows everything. And so as he talks about this passage and he talks about money, he knows how everybody would spend money, past, present, and future. So he has an understanding of all this, and he's opening up these truths to speak to the people at that time, but also to us today. And I'm going to share with you guys some stats that I found this week, and it comes from a plethora of different places. It's not just one place, but uh, Credit Suisse is one of them, Um, Gallup Polls, Christianity Today, Relevant Magazine, so some Christian and non-Christian but these are just stats that we find of the wealth of the world that, man, will give us a right perspective in order to be generous for the Lord. And so this first one was put together by, by Credit Suisse, and it's interesting. It's global population versus global wealth, okay? So you see here at the very top of it, these stats are staggering to me, but the richest 1% of people, okay? So there's 1% of the people in the world 
that have 48% of the world's money. You might not be able to see that on the screen, but I want to say it again and let that settle in. 1% of the population of the world, 1% of people, have 48% of the world's wealth. And then on the flip side, at the bottom, you find that 49% of the population of the world controls 51% of the world's money. This is the very bottom, okay? These are the, 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 what we would say is the poorest of people. A lot of third world countries here that still, they, they own 50% of the world's wealth, but it's 1% of the population. This is crazy. So you have this in the middle. You've got basically 50% that own 50% of the world's wealth, but then in the middle of this, you've got 50% of the people, 50% of the population that controls 51% of the world's money, okay? So look at those stats. Pull that, that third one up real quick. This is the, the, the middle gap, okay? So you got at the very top. Let me just say those again real quick. 1% of the world, 1% of the people control 49%, 48% of the wealth. And then at the very bottom, you have 1%, okay? 1% of the wealth is controlled by 50% of the world. And then right in the middle, you have kind of this middle class where 49% of the people control 51% of the world's wealth. All right, we look at these stats. And if you're not a stat person, maybe you're not asking any of these questions. Maybe you're not shocked by this. But at least for me, as I'm looking at these stats, the question I'm asking is, where am I in that? Like, where do I fit in this? And And some of y'all are probably students or maybe college students, and you're like, I'm clearly in the bottom half. Like, I clearly am in the the 50% where I own 1% of the world's wealth. Like, that's probably where I am. I I don't have much money to my name. I'm clearly in that part of the world's wealth. Well, this is the breakdown of where you would would fit in. And this is if you could take all that you have, all the the clothes you have, the cars you have, uh, um, whatever you have in your bank account, your retirement, any of that stuff, if you cashed out today, the equity of your home, anything, if you cashed it out today, okay, and you had $3,600, $3,650 to your name, you would be in that middle group. If you have, we'll just round it up, $4,000 to your name, if you sold everything that you have, you're right there in the middle. That puts you in the top echelon of wealth in the world if you own $4,000, if you sold everything. It's crazy. Now, if you had, if you cashed everything out today and you had $77,000 to your name, $77,000, cashed out everything, and that's what you had, you would be in the top 10% in the wealth of the world. 10% was $77,000. That's crazy. And for those of you that are curious, if you want to be in the top 1% of wealth in the world, you need $800,000 or more, okay, to end in that top level of 1%. But USA Today did a study, and they found out that on the low end, starting jobs, or the average starting job in America for an American worker is about $30,000, thirty dollars to maybe $35,000. That's your starting pay. And on the high-end jobs, if you're making a lot of money and you're in a very lucrative career, you could start at fifty dollars to $60,000 a year. 
And what that means is if we live long enough here in America and we're wise enough, we're going to at some point probably have $3,000 to $4,000 to our name to put us in that middle echelon of finances. And if we're good stewards and we live long enough, we'll probably have $77,000 to our name at some point. Remember, cash everything out. Maybe it's not in your bank account, but everything you would own. And you would be in the top 10% of wealth in the world. In the world. This is crazy. So the point of this for us to see is that we are much richer than we think we are. So be encouraged by that today. You're much richer than you, than you think you are today. And another thing to encourage you with is as these different studies were done, it was fascinating. What they found is that the United States of America is actually one of the most generous nations in all of the world. Because this study was not just a study here in the United States. This is around the world. And about 60% of people in the United States gave something to someone else within the year. It could have been a dollar to somebody on the side of the road. It could have been to a nonprofit. It could have been to a church. They gave something. 60% gave. So be encouraged. Like when we compare ourselves to other nations around the world, we are extremely generous as a nation. But the issue that these studies found is that there's not consistency of our generosity as a nature, as a nation. That we aren't. Uh, living a lifestyle of generosity. We might give something here or there, but there's not a lifestyle of, of giving of our finances or our time or our energy, and it continues to decline year over year. There's a steep decline that's happening right now, and it's, it's interesting. They interviewed in these studies, and they found that from the ages of 15 to 29, that only 20% of the people said they gave anything away over the last month. Anything away. Two out of ten people in the last month said they gave anything away to serve and to help somebody else. And if you're older than 29 and you're in your 30s all the way up through your 50s, what they found is only about 30% of those people gave anything away in the last month. There's just not a consistency of giving and, and generosity. And I know some of y'all are thinking right now, but Ryan, these have been like rough times. These have been hard times for us, and I, and I get that. But the sobering stat that I found was that right now, the average self-professing Christian in the United States gives away about 2.3% of their income every year. But in the Great Depression, in the Great Depression, the average self-professing Christian gave away 3.5%. That's sobering, that in the midst of the Great Depression, there was more generosity than there is now. Now, if you're not a believer and you're here today, um, and you might say, good night, I thought you Christians were supposed to be way more generous than this. Before you come down too hard on us as Christians, the stats that they found for non-believers was actually lower than that of giving. And so the, the reality is we all need to be giving more. We all need to be more generous for the sake of others. And we can read these numbers and, and sit here and say, gosh, this is just depressing. And it's not meant to be depressing. It's just most, it's meant to help us take those blinders off and have that right perspective. That we are far more wealthy than we realize and we're far less generous than we realize. We just need to understand that and grasp that. Now, here's, here's the hope and the dream of what could be if we were more generous. 
And we talked about this last week. It's not, we're not trying to lead this out of guilt. This is just reality. I'm just laying numbers out here for us to understand and to grasp. But if we as Christians just in the United States of America, just in the United States of America, if we would give a tithe of our income. And I know we talked about it last week that Jesus has set the new standard of our giving and it's based on him. We don't live under the law of 10%. That's a great baseline. It's a great way. But now we live under the grace of Jesus. We look at his life. Though he was rich, he became poor. And we say we want to be generous like Jesus is generous, right? So I'm not here today arguing 10% right now. These numbers are just where a lot of people say this would be a great starting line. If Christians would give this 10%, what could we do? All right, I want you to see this world map again. This is fascinating. Hopefully I can go through these clearly for you. But if we in America just gave 10%, okay, here are a few things that we could do with that money. Okay, we could take $25 billion and go and relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases within five years. We could take $12 billion and go and eliminate illiteracy within five years. We could take $15 billion and solve all the world's water and sanitation issues. We could take $1 billion and fully fund all of our overseas missions work in a year. Which, if you can see on that chart, leaves us roughly $100 to $110 billion left over for ministry work. Left over! A hundred to a hundred and ten billion, not a not an M, billion dollars for the work of the gospel. This is just if America gave ten percent. I mean, this is this is staggering. And the point again is not guilt. The point is if we increased our giving, look what God could do. And and those that have been around this church, there's a, there's a verse where it says that one day Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes when we see Him. And I believe part of that is because in eternity, we're going to look through the eyes of Jesus. And we're going to look back at what this money could have done. And I think it's going to make us weep. I think we're going to see and realize at one point what the world could have been had we lived a life of generosity. How different the world could have been if we would have lived differently, if we would have reflected Christ and been generous as he is generous. So church... We need this perspective. We need to understand the, the wealth of our world and what it means for you and I. Because like I said, we will blind our eyes so quickly to the greed of our heart if we're not careful. But the reality is, the reason why we give or, or don't give is not due to a lack of information or organization. It's not why we don't give. We don't give because there's an issue of the heart that's the second thing I want us to see, that our generosity needs a right perspective on our hearts. And we can have all this information, but if Christ doesn't change our heart, it doesn't matter at all. And this goes back to where I started with verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we spend our money is ultimately what we love. Wherever your treasure is, wherever your money is, that's where your heart's going to be also. Our heart's affection determines our money's direction. 
What we truly love is where we're going to spend our money and sacrifice our time and our energy. It's just going to happen. What we love, what our heart has an affection for, determines our money's direction. And I can prove it even from my own life. So 15 years ago, when I knew that I wanted to marry my wife, we were dating, had been dating for a couple of years at that point. I was like, I'm ready to take those next steps uh, to get engaged and, and to prepare for a wedding. And so what do you need, right? You need a wedding ring. And so I go out and I start doing my homework and studying on diamonds, not because I really care about diamonds. I don't own any diamonds, right? So I'm like, I've got to figure out what this is all about. So you learn all the C's, the cut, carrot, clarity, color. I don't know all of them. Obviously, I don't remember that. But the biggest one was cost for me, right? I looked at that C and I was like, I can't afford that. I see that. I was like, oh, my goodness. But I knew, I knew in that moment, I love her. And I know I want to marry her. And my heart's affections determine my money's direction. And so I went and I worked 60, 70 plus hours a week detailing cars, scrubbing engines, getting underneath, under, doing underbody work, scrubbing and cleaning carpets in cars. I mean, I, I worked and I detailed and detailed. And so even now when I look at my wife's wedding ring, I still think about the hours I put in to purchase that, right? And it's because I loved her. And I love her still. So I don't look back at, and say, ah, oh, I regret wasting all that money. No, no, I love that I was able to give that away, right? And it's the same for us. When we love something, it's not a, oh, I gotta give, oh, fine, and now I regret giving. No, there's a love and a passion to give because we look at the needs of others and needs around the world and we're like, I wanna be a part of the solution, I wanna be a part of the help. But we've just been so blinded to our greed. And I would say if you're wondering where your heart's affections are today, if you're like, I don't really know where my heart's affections are, then look at your receipts. Like this is an unbiased, unemotional response to where your heart is. You look at your bank account and you scroll through there, it'll tell you what you love. And your bank account is not emotional it's not biased. It's not telling you to do one thing or the other. It's just telling you where your money's gone. Look at how your money's being spent, and it'll show you what you love most. We've got to make sure that our eyes are open, that we see clearly what we should love the most. And Jesus, in the, the, the beginning and at the end, is starting to talk about the perceptions that our eyes see. And he's like, hey, I want to speak to some of those things. The things that your hearts long for, they're not necessarily bad things, but they need to be put in the proper direction. And so he says in here, hey, you want to invest? You have this heart of, like, I want to invest in something? I want to give so I can earn interest on something? Good. Jesus doesn't say don't invest. He just says invest in the right things. Invest in something that's going to be beneficial to you in the short term and the long term. And so he says, hey, when you think of investing, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because they're going to erode and get eaten up and it's going to get stolen from you maybe. Or someday you're going to have to give it to somebody else as you pass away. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys. Thieves don't break in and steal. What Jesus is saying right here is, hey, invest in something that's better. Invest in something that lasts, something that you never lose or it doesn't break or, or, or be stolen from you. Invest in the right places. 
And if we could see through the eyes of Christ where we would invest in things that would last for all eternity, it would change our generosity. It would change how we give. You can think about it like this. I remember, I guess it was back in 2008, 2007, when Bitcoin was being launched. I don't know if any of y'all remember that. Um, When Bitcoin, if you don't know what Bitcoin is, here's a picture. It actually is a digital currency. It doesn't have a hard currency. But literally, you can buy Bitcoin, and it's this digital ledger that keeps up with this money. When it was opened back in 2008, I remember friends and I laughing about this. I mean, this isn't backed by any kind of gold or any government. This is just a digital currency that's out there. And when it opened up, it was starting at $0.08 cents a Bitcoin. $0.08. Cents. And we laughed. My friends and I were just like, who is going to invest money in a digital currency? This is crazy. So I checked this just, la- just this last week. One Bitcoin now is going for roughly $48,000. $48,000. If I could rewind time right now, <laughs> I would be going back and buying up some Bitcoin for $0.08, cents, right? Why? Because I know what its value is now. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, I want you to see the value in investing in a kingdom that will never end. We need to understand that the American currency, the American dollar bill, is not going to be there in eternity. It's not. There's one day where this temporary dollar bill is going to be gone. And Jesus is like, hey, invest this temporary currency for something eternal. Invest in something that's going to matter. And it makes sense that we would invest in something greater than ourselves. Something that would outlive the moment. But even in the moment, our generosity to give to others is better. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this in the next few weeks, the generosity of giving of our time and the talents that God has blessed us with. But there's one blessing that you get when you give away your finances to help others is while you are sleeping, your generosity is still working around the world. I mean, our youth are about to have a retreat And for some of you, while our youth are hanging out and hearing about the gospel, you're going to be sleeping. But because of your generosity to to provide for that event, we're able to do that. Your your money is working even when you're not there. When you go to bed at night and you lay your head on the pillow, you need to remember there are missionaries around the world that are waking up. Missionaries that because you give, we're, we're supporting them. And they're sharing the gospel all throughout the day while you're sleeping. Your generosity outlives the moment. When you give financially. And so yes, give of your time. Please give of your talents to the church and to the Lord. And to your neighbors and your friends. Please do that. But know as you invest in in giving generously through your finances. It outlives even the time that you are awake. So lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Have the right investment. And also follow the right king. Verse 24, it says... Nobody can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now for me, as I read this passage, the thing that's interesting is it says you cannot serve God and money. When has money ever asked for our service? Have you ever heard George Washington on a dollar bill speak to you and tell you how to serve him? No. So when Jesus is saying here, you can't serve God and money, what is he talking about? Money hasn't asked for us to serve it. 
What it's talking about is when we come to money for our significance, that's how we serve money. When we come to money for our our hopes of security, that's us serving money. When we look to money and we think of of happiness and we're like, that's where our our happiness is. You heard that you're getting a new stimulus check and you're so happy for that day. I got a stimulus check. Like check your heart maybe just a little bit, just a little bit. That's how we end up serving money. When we find our security and our significance and our joy in our money, that's what it looks like to serve money. And every, everything else in life will call you to come and to give everything you have and die in order to have it. But Jesus came and said, hey, serve me and I will die for you. Jesus is coming with generosity to give to you and to me. He is. And everything else wants to take and take and take. So as we pursue movie money, there's never enough for us. We're always longing for more. And Jesus is really clear here because we love to say, well, I can serve God and money. I can do both. And Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. He didn't say that it's hard. He didn't say that it's complicated to serve God and money. He says you cannot do it. Some of us have spent our life trying to live for both God and money. And Jesus says you can't do it. When there comes a time where your comforts and Jesus collide, they don't always collide. Jesus isn't opposed to comfort. He's the God of all comfort, right? And so you can, you can have money and you can use money to enjoy things that God has allowed you to do. That's, that's fine. God's not opposed to that. But when those two things butt heads together, when you have to choose either your comforts or your generosity to Christ's mission, we choose the mission. There will come a time where we'll have to choose. And we, Jesus is saying right here, you cannot serve both God and money. So when that time comes, serve the Lord. Give to the Lord. Lastly and quickly, I want us to see that our generosity needs the right perspective on Jesus. We need our right perspective on Jesus. I thought this week, um, this whole principle of where your treasure is, that your heart will be also, that we would just call, you know, one of y'all on stage, and uh, we'd pull up your bank account, we could walk through and really see where your treasure is, and we'd all look at it together and decide, well, this is really where their treasure is, Right? Um, I'm joking. I'm, we're not doing that. Um, but what I would love to do is for us to look at Jesus. Like, what if we could pull up Jesus and his treasure and see where he spent it? What would that tell us about Jesus? What does he love? This points back to last week where he, though he was rich, became poor for you and I. Jesus took all of his treasures that he had and he poured it out and gave it away. Why? For you and for me to have salvation. Jesus didn't just give us life in the here and now. He gave us eternal life because he gave all his treasures away. If you look at Jesus' treasures and where he spent them and where he poured it out, where is his heart? It's with you and it's with me. He loves you. 
He gave it away. He gave his riches away that you might have salvation. If you want to know where the heart of Christ lies, where his treasure has been given, it's for you. He gave up everything. Think about that. We talk about the very beginning of Jesus' life where he came from heaven to earth. But when he finished his life, everything was taken from him. His clothes were were torn away from him. He had nothing when he died. Nothing. Why? He gave it all away because he loves you. He loves you. So I would just plead. I plead with you today. If you don't know Christ... Look to how he's poured out his riches for you and died on the cross for your sins. Lay down whatever sin your heart is clinging to because it will not save you. It will take your life from you. Jesus is the only one that's going to give you life. And that sin might be the sin of greed. It might be the sin of pride. It might be the sin of lust. I don't know. But you know your heart. And the Holy Spirit will stir that heart. Would you Repent and believe and get that right perspective on Jesus that he loves you and gave it all for you. And if you know Jesus, would would you just listen to his word and align your life with his? That you would reflect him where he is generous, that you would be generous. That when you get into eternity, you'll see all the ways that you were able to impact the nations and the world and even your neighborhoods just through your faithful generosity of giving of your time and your prayers, of your energy and your finances for the kingdom of God. Because our mission is his mission. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a generous God. Lord, if you were not, then we would stay in our sins for all of eternity. We'd have nothing but hell waiting before us. But you gave us hope in the here and now and also hope for eternity. God, even what we give now, it didn't have to be the blessing that we would enjoy some of those fruits in all of eternity. But you said, place it up. Store up your treasures in heaven. That there's going to be treasures in heaven for those that are generous towards your mission and your way. But God, we just, we confess that our hearts struggles, struggles with this, to be generous. Or some of us struggle not to be generous with our finances. It's easy to give those away maybe. But we struggle to give of our time or of our energy. Lord, help us. Help us to see our hearts the way you see it. Help us to see our world's wealth the way that you see it and know it to be. And God, when we see in the scriptures, even last week, those that had little to nothing, they were in their extreme poverty, your world said, your word says, they gave and you impacted the world. Lord, may we as Americans who have been blessed financially, maybe more than any other nation ever, may we be used for your kingdom and your glory that would echo into all of eternity. God, we pray that you would use us. Lord, we love you. And we're grateful that you love us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.